in where we will be, this song was just kind of in the files way back. It was a song written in about 1967, as I do recall. Not specifically the date, I had to research that. But a poet and singer of those days, Joni Mitchell, penned a very popular song. It's actually called Both Sides Now, but the theme was clouds. Let me read at least two or three of the verses that she penned. Rose and flows of angel hair and ice cream castles in the air and feather canyons everywhere. I've looked at clouds that way, but now they only block the sun. They rain and snow on everyone. So many things I would have done, but clouds got in the way. I've looked at clouds from both sides now, from up and down and still somehow. It's cloud illusions, I recall. I really don't know clouds at all. That achieves basically the prelude to today's teaching. And if you will allow me to have you hold your place there and to have you go back into a very familiar area of scripture, Exodus 20. And you may say, why? And we're going to pick it up in verse 18. And this is the fear of the people against God's presence. The reason that that's important is because faith requires of us to be fearless. But such times as we live, the provocation of fear is overwhelming because it seems to be the central theme of everybody's life, excluding faith and confidence in God. It's tiring. It is depressing. And so the Lord has, I believe, a word for us, but also through yet a discovery of a very important family that has had many things imposed upon them, and yet a very high calling of God in handling the Son of God. Moses right now is being looked upon at a time in which people didn't get God. The cloud that was manifested for Israel, which was to show them the presence of God leading them through the wilderness, the pillar of fire by night to warm them and to give them the confidence that they were not in darkness. And they didn't get that either right. They could have easily have penned Joni Mitchell's song of 1967. Here's what Moses is going to be doing right now that parallels in many ways what Mary and Joseph 
or doing and about to do. All the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, and when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. Verse 19, then they said to Moses, you speak with us and we will hear, but let not God speak with us lest we die. Verse 20, and Moses said to the people, do not fear for God has come to test you and that his fear may be before you so that you may not sin. Verse 21. So the people stood afar off, but Moses drew near the thick darkness where God was. In essence, this thick darkness was a cloud that had to be stood up to and penetrated. It was an entrance, actually. And what had prepared Moses for this? Well, he had already had multiple encounters with God that certainly could have been provocations of fear. One of his most memorable was out of curiosity, taking a hike up a mountain and a bush that was on fire yet not burning, not turning to ash, a voice speaking from it, declaring that he was on holy ground. He had had an encounter with God. He had heard the voice of the Lord. Moses was to be speaking the language of God to the people of God. But this is a very compelling verse to me, that as the people stood far off, though Moses invited them, it's just a test. It's only a test. He's the one that drew near the thick darkness of where God was. And so today, cloudy, we're invited to enter in to the cloud that God has allowed us to be tested with in faith. Cloudy with evidence of the sun, S-O-N. Can we see Jesus in the cloud bank? Can we see with great hope, optimism, little reservation, that he is going to meet us at that point in which Joni Mitchell didn't get it all together right. It was just cloud illusion. The best she could come out of it is she even outlines other themes in the song of love and the disposition of people was simply cloud illusions. But God brings to us, his people, cloud revelations. It's one of the fascinations, actually, on days in which clouds are more distinctly defined, more obviously in the foreground of the background of a blue sky, or a wind that's blowing them and changing them. We've done that before. We've been fascinated. We've seen things in them. But can you, in the time in which perhaps that cloud actually is a circumstance you're going through, see God the way that he wants faith to reveal for a revelation of himself to you? Mary and Joseph right now have been on a long journey 
And it would seem that they had satisfied all of the requirements, both lawfully and spiritually, to not be bothered again. But we pick it up right now in an event in which I think this will come very clear to us. I'm beginning at verse 12 because it closes off what some wise men had to do in a predicament that was clouding their return. And it says, Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. These magi had traveled a great distance, presumably up to maybe 900 miles, an entourage that we aren't specifically given the amount of, but we do know their intent was to worship and to worship the living God who was presented as a baby in Bethlehem and who with foreknowledge and wisdom traced it probably according to the word and according to a star specifically, Bethlehem. At this point in time, as we left off last week, Jesus is not the baby in the manger. He is a child within a home. And we can presume, based on the questioning of Herod, that he very likely is at least two years of age. These magi had come to deliver for Joseph and Mary, the beneficiaries, ultimately the tokens of reverence to Jesus. They were presented for Jesus with three things that we know were spiritually huge in their meaning but gold and frankincense and myrrh, identifying this young baby as the king to come. Commodities of kings were obviously brokered in gold and silver, gems. Frankincense would have been the priestly special herb or resin that was burned both in the tabernacle and in the temple. It spoke of Jesus' priestly office. And the myrrh would speak of what would be the ointment of death. It would be the perfume, the resin that would be placed on the bodies of those who had passed into the eternal. These things spoke of what he indeed was recognized as the king, it's alarming to Herod, and he's going to do something about it. The priesthood, which is his presently, and the death that we remember him as satisfying perfectly for the remission, for the forgiveness of our sins. As the Magi had heard the word that they were not to go back in the same direction that they came they heard that and they obeyed it, and that's very important. There are times in which the direction that God wants us to go seems to be contrary to the way that we came. But God does have a purpose, and that purpose is to preserve us 
to satisfy everything that he has ordained for us. And it doesn't necessarily always make sense. Why do we get stranded in places in which the easiest opportunity to get out of it seems to be the one that is least preferred by God? And so Mary and Joseph right now have been obedient. They went to Bethlehem. Jesus was birthed in the city that David and that lineage came from, that Jesus was to come from, and they remained there faithfully. We're not told exactly what they were doing, but I assume it was Mary learning about motherhood and handling the Son of God, and Joseph as well, handling the Son of God, not his son, the Son of God, and discovering all the things that you discover in marriage once you have children, this being an extraordinary child. I would imagine that as perfect as a baby could be, Jesus was. And it must have been interesting to know that the eyes of God were upon you as imperfect parents. <laughs> oh boy, what do we do now? So this picks up right now in the word that they have received. Herod would take the Magi out for what he intended to do, which was to stop any kind of acknowledgement that was happening, acknowledging Jesus. And now in verse 13, Mary and Joseph will have plans changed. When they had departed, behold... An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. So the voice of an angel to the Magi, the appearance in a dream of an angel of the Lord to Joseph saying, Arise, take up the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt and stay there until I bring you word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. So when we look at specific language in here, it is important to note that Mary is credited as the mother, but Joseph is not being credited as the father. He's a stepdad. He was one who betrothed to Mary, took several steps back, and his privilege was not to consummate his marriage. His privilege was to respect and ultimately see to it that everything that would be required of Mary would be satisfied to God's plan. But this is an important concept that's presented right now because that's what God wants us to know. God's son was delivered through Mary and not through Joseph. As Joseph has received this dream, this would be number two for him. The first was, you are going to take Mary, for she has within her the Son of God, the Holy One. And so rather than dismiss her, he did take her, secured her, 
stood up for her. Now he has to travel with her on a distant course. Notice what it says here. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night. And it says that he departed for Egypt. I wonder if for them they would question, why in the world do we have to protect God? God has done everything. Our history records huge victories of God through just a few, if not what the world considered the least of all nations, Israel. What do we have to worry about with Jesus being whom we have been taking care of to flee from this place? It would seem a logical question. I mean, to me it would be. Maybe this is a test to see what our faith will propel us to do just hugely. We're going to stay here. And we're going to trust God that as we do so, it's all going to work out fine. But one of the things that we need to see here is that God works through the practical realm to satisfy his word that he's spoken. In this case, we know hundreds of years, 700 years in advance, and up to other markers up to at least 400 years in advance. And in order to satisfy that, then God desires that the directive that we follow partners or complements what his intentions are. They could have said, we'll see God do this another way. Besides, we're just now recovering after two years. Mary would have been able to certainly vouch for journeyings that she made to visit Elizabeth to return back home and then ultimately to get the word from Joseph, we've got to go to Bethlehem now that would have been increments three times of at least 91 miles minimum to make those trips. She would have been very much an admirable woman to have made that trip. And what we would assume is in the stages of her pregnancy, all, all of those three stages at least of her pregnancy. Pretty amazing for a woman of God, caring God, and now nurturing the Son of God for these kinds of directives to obey. Egypt would have been figuratively what they would have immediately thought of. We were delivered from Egypt by Moses. But I do believe that in their heart as well they would have known. Wait, the scriptures have said that from Egypt... God would come forth. And this was the idea that the Lord himself would be taken back to Egypt. And it was for the purpose of being out of the clutches of the conspiracy of Herod to kill him. And it would be to satisfy that word. And so though argument could be made, well, Where's our faith if we have to run? 
and now maybe it best is said, where's your faith if you do not obey? As they make this move, it is best to conjecture that there were provinces that Egypt still had a part of their jurisdiction from previous campaigns that were honored that probably reached as close as 40 miles from what we would say are the perimeter of where they would have been coming from on the lower end but very likely to satisfy this word it wouldn't have met simply just a precinct that was a part of a historical ownership very likely they proceeded from Bethlehem and they moved down the coastline and on that coastline trip they would have probably very likely passed the Red Sea not crossed it I'm sure that Joseph may have thought at the time I wonder if we could just stand before this and it would just like you know part that'd be cool Mary doesn't say that he used what once was a manner by which the Lord delivered it would indicate that very likely they just continued to follow that coastline and very likely may have come out to a place called Alexandria which the Greeks had obviously influenced it was a great area of culture and there they would have found themselves in company with actually a very large Jewish population but what you need to understand is that if that was their pilgrimage passing down the Mediterranean and past the Red Sea and then looping back to Alexandria that trip was very likely somewhere between 430 miles it's huge what that request imposed upon them so there's conjecture on where it could have been and some say well that's impossible God would never ask the impossible out of a young couple that were carrying their child that would be cruel some would be satisfied well God would only require just the minimum it's possible to suggest that that the minimum can be as pleasing to God as the maximum but what we do know is that this was an act of obedience and it was greater than a hundred miles we're confident of that and so where was the preparation well Mary had already had it she had already been on sojourning as the Lord had directed her and once by her husband's command from God on what he needed to do because Rome imposed that upon him to get to Bethlehem I wonder if they looked up at the clouds I wonder if they were trying to even see the cloud of God in what may have been at times an exhausting journey but it does say that as they went along taking this flight and going to Egypt specifically it says that they're determined 
time there, their residency, was until the death of Herod, and it says that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I called my son. In essence, their obedience partnered compatibly with the word that had been spoken. And therefore, very often, our movement complements the plans of God in words that he has spoken. At times, we've said it before, I used it as an illustration, I think, on Thursday, that our life can be much like a mosaic as the Lord puts together pieces that have been torn from different parts of our life, different things that we've had, and he puts them on a backdrop in which piece by piece they begin to form a border. They begin to form something that as the eyes look more deeply, there's clarity about what that art piece is. Until they become assembled on that paper according to what an artist is trying to convey, they're just as good as if they were taken by your hands once torn and thrown into the air and vacuumed up. But the artist sees what he or she is trying to create on that paper. And ultimately, when the last piece is put in place, though at one time it was torn, that mosaic becomes the vision. It's no longer, per se, simply an abstract. It's an abstract with definition. And you step back and go, ah, oh, ooh, I still can't get Picasso. Not at all. He was an abstract artist. I would say that many of my kids in fourth grade were Picassos. <laughs> Could have sold their work for millions. Didn't fully understand his deal. But he was rewarded by culture for what he was able to convey in paints. But this is primarily the satisfaction of scriptures that needed to be fulfilled in obedience. And then notice this. This is the reason as well that the importance of leaving at night for this arduous trip was intended. Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry, and he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all its districts from two years old and under according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. This is how we've come to understand that the definition of a child would have been somewhere between two and a little bit younger. Certainly not a baby. On this journey, was Jesus exhibiting the terrible twos? If you're a parent, you've heard of that. I don't think we ever had terrible twos in our kids. Not that I recall. Did we? No, we didn't. Some do, but we didn't. And we know that with certainty there would have been no dispositional challenge from Jesus on this. But this was going to be as well a forecast 
from the scriptures that this event would happen, there would be lamentation and weeping. Mothers would not be comforted. Rachel's children would be in lamentation and weeping. And so as these districts were pillaged and we are not certain how many children were taken, just the males, Herod despising what was the work of God, the prophetic fulfillment of the Lord, and he was going to put a stop to it. He didn't. But this is the reason that it was incumbent upon Mary and Joseph to take a very long journey away from this area. Would God have protected them in lieu of that? That they hedged their faith on, you'll protect us no matter what? Well, we're not given that as our alternative. All we know is that the reason for that is bringing together at least two points of Scripture. Jesus would come out of Egypt, God's Son. The only way that he could do that is being brought there by those who had been entrusted with his life. And the other would be that Herod would satisfy the word of the Lord regarding the destruction of the children in the districts and area of Bethlehem. Verse 17, then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah, and this is that anchor verse common to us. A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. So though we're not given much as to how many kids, males, two years and under, perished, it's been presumed by the community size it was probably under 30. But nevertheless, one child, that's grief. And the brutality of how they were taken, that's lamentations and sorrow. Verse 19 tells us the next word that was received. Herod has died. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. This is number three, in which his ears and his eyes have been opened to a divine command. Verse 20 says, Arise, take the young child, and his mother, not take your child, take the young child and his mother and go to the land of Israel for those who sought the young child's life are dead. Then he arose, took the young child and his mother and came into the land of Israel. So how long was their tenure there in Egypt? So we know that it was not less than a year. We know that there were still things that Herod was both corrupt in doing and still in the process of trying to settle this issue, where did Jesus go? Where is Mary and Joseph? The hunt was on. 
But when he did die, what we know is that the whom who took his place was a son who was in every way just as evil as he was. And notice what happens here. This trek to come back, very likely following the same course, and probably very likely, though, at a juncture saying, I wonder if we can take a short cut here and maybe shave off a hundred or so miles. We'll see evidence of that. But as they come back into Israel, they heard, verse 22, that Archelaus was reigning over Judea instead of his father Herod. And this, the pronoun he, Joseph, was afraid to go there. And now it says, being warned by God in a dream, he turned aside into the region of Galilee. This is another time in which was the fear of Joseph complemented by the word of God saying, yep, don't go there. You're right to have that feeling. Your assessment is correct. What you know of Herod, you have anticipated concerning his son. So Jesus will be as endangered as you will be with Mary if you go and shorten your trip. This is what Joseph was feeling. He's, he heard the word. He probably had impressions about this was one of Herod's sons. Herod, if you didn't know, historically was responsible for killing two of his wives and three other sons because he was a maniac. His desire was to keep a grip on the throne. This was the surviving son who happened to be in his father's image really bad. Really bad. And this is what Joseph would have had an impression about, that God comes alongside him and says, yep, your impression's right. This guy is really bad. So rather than come into Jerusalem proper, you're going to take another strategy. And it says this, this region of Galilee, he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. All of these movements being anchored in prophetic utterance, documented language of what God was going to do. And so even the place that they once had and would have perhaps moved towards, they nestle back into the starting point of it all. That's where obviously Joseph and Mary had met, was in Nazareth. He having been born, though, in Bethlehem, and it's a full circle that they've come. The story right now will satisfy itself in really just a blink in which the maturity of Jesus is caught up with the stories that we have been reading. Just within the closure of this, we bypass all of his childhood and move him into the reality of ministry. And so one of the things that we take note of as we look at the scriptures is that the Lord is always moving in advance to satisfy ultimately his plan in all of our lives. 
And even though we don't understand the movement or the delays, even though our faith seemingly can be tested on what we will believe at the minimum and what is expected of us at the maximum, it's always an important necessity that we say, Lord, in you I trust. It's got to be your plan because my plans typically don't work out all that well. I've seen enough of myself entering into cloud zones in which I allowed that to be the provocation of fear and I didn't exercise faith. I've looked at clouds from all sides now. But as Joni Mitchell would say, it's clouds illusions. But I've looked at that great cloud and I've looked at that great fire and I know that those were visuals that the children of Israel needed continually to bring them into that place of faith. But what I need is altogether different. The evidence that the Spirit of God within me complements the plans of God for me. And His Word establishes the footsteps that I can take. When there are warnings to be given, I can make comparisons about what God has shown me. I know that he works in my spiritual life in practical ways, so I don't have to be a fool saying, well, this is what I'm going to do. It seems logical to do it. It seems to have an accomplished outcome that God will get glory in. But God is interested in pursuing his will by preserving your life. And it's important to know that we have a life that we simply don't take carelessly. We take careful abiding in his word for what we're to do. I noticed that one of the vehicles that was driving away today had a low tire and I made a note in my mind. That's got to be dealt with. I don't want that tire coming off the rim. I don't want that tire getting a flat. Another vehicle that I was driving Brake seemed a little bit mushy. Let Micah head back to Medford. Those of you that have met Micah, he anticipated like Dennis had called snow, and they got it. And so our vehicle was the only four-wheel drive we have. And I said, Micah, as far as I know, we're good for go, but let's go to the gas station and check on it. Oops, we're low on gas. I want to see that you got gas. Tires look good. Oil, let's check the oil. Oil looks good. Okay, show me, Micah, that you know how to engage this into four-wheel drive if you need it. Okay, well, you said to do this, and you said to press that. Great, do it. Is it working? It's working. Great. Let me pray with you and send you on your way. And so he gave me a report. Made it, and the snow was coming down. We took advantage of what was the necessity of him on pilgrimage, but we practically dealt with the issues that could have caused a problem. God requires us to take a practical, assertive measure that complements his plans for us. It doesn't violate it. It complements his plans for us if we're being safe. And there's nothing wrong with that in a variety of ways. Joseph, ultimately, with Mary, 
though they could have had arguments, they remained practically obedient to exercise a spiritual reality of scripture being satisfied and their life accomplishment would get them to Nazareth. So what happened to Joseph after this very successful pilgrimage, this sojourning? We don't know. Somewhere between the time very likely of Jesus' 12th year and his 33rd year, Joseph is not presumed to have lived beyond that. We know that Mary had additional children. We know that two of them have been substantiated in Scripture. And I will say that, and that would be James and Jude. They would be half-brothers of the Lord. Mary and Joseph had children apart from Jesus. We don't know exactly what happened to them in full. Jude and James would go on to be apostles. But ultimately at the cross, Jesus would look down and assign Mary under the caretaking of John the Apostle. Fascinating. And everybody seems to be at the place that they needed to be to accomplish the purpose of God in a time in which others could have said it's cloudy. Forecast cloudy with evidence of the sun. Are there things right now you're deciding upon that are cloudy to you? If so, are you able to claim scripture, the evidence of the son of God, taking you actually where he needs to go? That's probably the better way to look at it, is that the son of God was taking Mary and Joseph to where he needed to go. And if we are able to say, that's what I'm going to do. I'm tired of putting God in tote. Come on, God. Let's go. Step up. Keep up the pace. British quick step. But that we are able to understand that God's taking us to where he needs to go. He needs to go. But he's not a fool and he doesn't ask us to be one. He just asks us to trust him. You check the tires. You check the brakes. You check the oil. Power steering. You fill up your tank. You make sure your lights work. And you say, Lord, I've looked at clouds from both sides now. But still somehow, I'm vulnerable to cloud illusions. You are no illusion. You're revelation. I will follow that. 